0: This was a series of sermons preached by aaron hale at riverside bible camp in the summer of 2023 the theme verse for the week was from ephesians 2 8 and 9 which says for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And just a quick um, clarification too. So the with the little booklets, I think you all got one. Hopefully, I do have more if you need one. Uh, someone commented. Um, I know the, the answers are in there. So um, basically, my goal is just. By you writing out a question and answer, putting your name on it, put it in the box, which is in the dining hall, Uh, I just wanted to encourage you to to see them. Uh, Even in your Bible memory, actually a great way to, for some of you, uh, a great way to memorize is sometimes just writing something out, and just the act of writing it, actually helps it stick into your brain so that was kind of all i was going for Um, so if you guys work on those that's great and don't feel like you have to copy when you you copy an answer a question and answer you don't have to write down all the scripture references with that so for example you could just write down uh, why did god make you and all things answer for his own glory put your name on it throw in the box and then we'll um, do the draw at the end all right so i hope that's clear as mud Um, so what I want to do this morning is just spend a little bit of time building something of a foundation, I guess you could say. Uh, how, many have you made, how many of you have worked on uh, some kind of building project? Anything from a tree house? To, yeah, lots of hands. Uh, so if you're going to build something um, that you know, is, is, you know, supposedly lasts for a while, what's the first part of the building that must be constructed? You can just throw it out there. The foundation, all right, thank you. Yes, the foundation. Uh, Especially if you want to build something in in this part of the world where we deal with frost. So if you just build a house on top of the ground, what's gonna happen is because the frost comes in the winter and when water freezes, what happens to it? It expands and that causes a lot of movement. So you actually have to dig down to get below the frost and there put your footing and begin building up. And um, when I first started in carpentry work, we, we were building houses, and so we had started the ground up, and the foundation work was, was often um, kind of tedious. It, it wasn't the most exciting, and I think what was one of the most frustrating parts about building a foundation is you go to all this work, you're working you know, six, seven, sometimes eight feet even more below the ground, and you, you build your forms, you pour it full of concrete, and then when you're done, what do they do? They bring in the bobcat and they, they cover everything with dirt so all you have sticking up is maybe you know, a foot or so. And all of this work you did is now buried and nobody comes to a house and says, wow, I love this foundation, it is so nice. Whoever did this, did amazing work. And people don't normally comment on the foundation. We notice the siding, the windows, the doors, the cabinets, the flooring, right? But the foundation is absolutely crucial uh, it is essential, if the foundation is not properly installed, not properly built, the, the structure will fail. And actually, the taller a building goes up, the further down the foundation has to go. Uh, for example, there's a building in Malaysia, the Petronas Towers, they stand over 1,400 feet tall, so that's roughly, if you look at the, uh, the climbing wall out there, I'll just compare all the heights to the climbing wall because it's pretty tall. Uh, you know, I think it's around 40 feet, I think, the climbing wall. So if you look at the climbing wall, to go to the height of these towers, it's about 35 climbing walls stacked on top of each other. It's a very tall building. Uh, it's not the tallest in the world. But any guesses as to how many feet down the foundation goes on the Petronas Towers? Any guesses? How many feet? An average house is like eight feet down, just to put it in perspective. 200? 200? 150? How many did you say? It's 800. 800, okay, good, good guesses. So actually the Petronas Towers have a 400 foot deep foundation to sustain this tall building. So that's about 10 climbing walls down below the ground, what you can't actually see with your eyes supporting this structure. So it gives you an idea as to how important a foundation is. And when it comes to, to spiritual things, when it comes to our understanding of the world, our understanding of God, understanding of who we are, the same thing is true. You, you need a foundation on which to build, on which to, to understand your life. And the fact is, you actually you have one right now. Uh, you may not even realize it. You have what we could call a worldview, uh, a way in which you're understanding Yourself, your body, a way in which you're understanding the grass, the trees. I mean, did, did this all result of a big bang? Is that how all this came here? Are we just highly evolved space dust floating through time without any real meaning or purpose? Um, or or how did this come here? Is this is this the the result of you know in maybe the Greek mythology the gods are fighting and some god is angry and he kills this god and takes part of it and creates uh, you know some trees? It's like pretty wild when you get into Greek mythology, Um, or, or are we looking at the account of the scriptures? Did all this come from an infinite wise God who brought this world into existence? And if we're going to talk about a foundation, then we really must begin with the Word of God, with the scriptures. Because you must ask, if we're going to have a right foundation, one that's actually going to stand the test of time, one that's actually going to sustain you, you know, he's saying about uh, being in the storms of life, the only material that we can truly build up that will sustain us is the word of God itself. And Paul, the apostle, uses the imagery of a building, and, and he says there's coming a day when your building, the, the building that you're creating even now, it will be tested by fire. It will be examined by Christ, the judge of all the earth, and is only if you're building with the right materials will it actually sustain. So, what is the Bible? How do we know it's reliable? Actually, every, well, I would say almost every world religion has a holy book, and they claim that their deity has given them this book. For example, the the Church of Latter day Saints, the Mormon faith, uh, Joseph Smith claimed that he was walking through the trees and he came across these golden tablets and he claims that these were dropped down from heaven, from God and they were actually the correct Bible, the correct word of God to us and so they disregard uh, much of what we have in our Bible. Um, and, and so you can talk about you know, um, the, the Muslim faith, you know, the Quran. Uh every world religion has its its holy book. So, what is the Bible? We talk about the Bible as a Christian. Um, What is it? How do we know it's reliable? Where do we get it from? Um, What what evidences do we have that it is more reliable or or the truest of all books? Um, And I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. Now, in the Bible, we find that there are two ways that God reveals himself to us. Two ways, and we can break those two ways into general revelation and special revelation. Does anyone have an idea of uh, the first way in which God reveals Himself to us? You can shout it out. <coughs> what, what is the general way that God reveals us? Nature. Nature. Okay, thank you. Very good. So we find in the, the, um, in the book of Romans that God has revealed Himself to an extent. Through creation, in Romans 1.18, Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. So Paul says, everyone in the world knows something of God, because God has shown himself to them. And then the question is, well, how did God do this? How did he show himself? And he goes on in verse 20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So, someone may ask the question, what about the, the, the tribe living off in the, in the Amazon jungles who've never had a Bible, they've never heard about God, how can they be accountable to worship God, the one true God? How can they know of him? Well, Paul says, through creation, there's actually enough evidence for every person to know there is a God, there is a creator. And in creation, we see Paul says something of his invisible attributes, his power. His wisdom, and therefore we're accountable to serve and to seek after this God. If I was to hold up a painting to you, does anybody here like painting or art? Uh, see some hands. My wife is a, a good painter, I actually her dad. My father-in-law is a very good painter as well. And if you see a painting, you know something for sure. There was a painter, right? Somebody made that painting. It didn't just appear out of nowhere. It, it was made. There was an artist. Uh, and, and so just the creation, we look out there and it's like, there's no way this just evolved out of nothing. There is design, intricate design. It's incredible. You begin to study biology, you begin to study the cellular structures, and, 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 the, and even chemistry. I, I, didn't, I didn't like chemistry in school, I, I, I think I barely got through chemistry 10, and, um, well it was a science 10. And then later, in, in doing the plumbing stuff, we had to learn more about chemistry, combustion and all that. And it's actually incredible the way that God has created all of these elements and the way they interact with each other. But this tells us something of God, and that is what we call general revelation. But then there is a greater, clearer revelation of God, which we refer to as the special revelation of God. And this comes through, what is the source of this special revelation? Jesus. Okay, Jesus. And we know of Jesus through, how how do we know who Jesus is? Bible. The Bible. Thank you. So you're right. It, it, Jesus is the right answer. Um, but, but Jesus is not here. And so the way we come to know him in his word is the scriptures. So we refer to the Bible as the special revelation of God. And I just want to read another verse for you from the um, book of Hebrews. And this will become very important as we work our way through this week as well. Because the Bible was not dropped down from heaven. It wasn't as Joseph Smith claimed that someone was just walking through the forest one day and, oh look, a Bible, I guess this is from God, and pick it up and and, and begin sharing it. No, actually the Bible comes to us over many years, written by 40 different authors, and the book of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 1 says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers... "...by the prophets, but in these last days He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world." So in times past, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. There were angels that sometimes spoke. Sometimes God Himself audibly spoke to uh, His people. But He says, "...in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ." And we have the revelation of Christ now through His Word. So here's a question. I got my question mark right. One of the questions that is in the book, uh, your little booklet there. Um, where do we learn how to love and obey God? Uh, you answered yesterday. i give us a chance today to ask it. All right. Where do we learn how to love and obey God? Yes. In the Bible, and it's um, full answer in the Bible alone, actually, and not alone. Here, I got a little booklet for you. So I'll talk. <laughs> This one is Can I Trust the Bible? So you can have that one. <laughs> so, um, those are the little books by Arceus ask for asking this question. So, in the Bible alone is where we know how to exactly love and obey God. Though we can know something of God from creation, we cannot know the fullness of who God is. We cannot understand our own condition. We cannot understand how we are to to be saved. We cannot understand the the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So who wrote the Bible is actually another question. So I'll hold up that question again. So who wrote the Bible? And and the answer, ultimately, yes, God wrote the Bible. But how did God write the Bible? Um, All right. Yes, thank you. That's another question from your book, Holy Men Who Were Taught by the Holy Spirit. So, um, this is how the Bible was given to us. It was not dropped down from heaven. It was written by, as I said, 40 different authors whom God has used. Now, this is what Peter says, who is also apostle of Christ, 1 Peter 1.19 and following. 2 Peter 1:19. He says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And then listen to what he says in verse 20. Knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So yes, various men have written the Bible, but what we find is that these men were not writing out of their own imagination, but they were carried along, they were led and taught by the Holy Spirit. So we talk about scripture being unique, it is the one book which is breathed out by God, which is the language Paul uses to Timothy that all Scripture is God-breathed. So God using the agency of of Peter, for example, or John, or Matthew, or Mark, or Luke, or Moses, uh, they, 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 they themselves are writing down these words, but it is the Holy Spirit within them that is instructing them and guiding them as they write. And this is one of the mysteries of the Scripture, but it is what sets the Bible apart from every other book. It is breathed out by God. And the Bible, uh, it was written over 1,600 years, so from the time that Moses starts writing Genesis to the time when John, probably the last living apostle, writes Revelation, about 1,600 years have passed. And this is incredible when you think about it. Uh, and, and the book that we call the Bible, um, the, the Holy Bible, Bible-meaning book, but it's actually 66 individual books that are compiled together. And... And what is amazing, as you consider the the unity of Scripture, and I had a slide to show you, if um, uh, that could be put up for me possibly here in just a minute, uh, just a really cool picture that I came across this last year, put um, together by a Guy um, Chris Walls, at least was part of of uh, putting this together, and it gives you a visual picture of the Bible. Um, from Genesis to Revelation. And it helps you see something very unique about this book, the way in which it is interwoven together. Um, Remember yesterday, I talked about, in order to understand the New Testament, you must know something of the old. And so, you see this picture here. I mean, obviously, it it looks very beautiful, like this kind of rainbow effect, right? And you're like, well, what's going on in this picture? What does this mean? Um, So what we have is actually each... Line, um, it's a little hard to tie It's a little scrunched up, but there are black lines in between the white, and each one represents uh, a book of the Bible. So 66, and you find so like this, for example, the various verses or various chapters in the book of the Bible. Um, so Psalm 119 is very long, obviously, so it comes way down. So all the chapters in in all the books of the Bible, and what this what this guy did, Chris did is he began to draw lines from each chapter and cross-reference it. So in Genesis 1, wherever Genesis 1 or parts of Genesis 1 is referenced somewhere else in the Bible, he takes a line across and, and connects it. And the farther apart, then the higher the line. So, for example, Genesis 1, it comes all the way over to the, the final books in the New Testament. So you have the green lines, the, the violet here are, are connections that are quite close together. And so he just began drawing lines, showing all of the various times the New Testament quotes the old, the old, the old, the new quotes the new, and then how this book is interwoven into this beautiful tapestry. And as you begin to study the Bible, this becomes very apparent. It is, it is a book with a divine origin, it is a book like no other. And uh, there's so much I could go on to say about this just really quickly. Um, before we wrap it up here, how many of you heard of, uh, say, Julius Caesar? Julius Caesar? Everyone's heard of Caesar. Okay, how about um, Plato? heard Plato, philosopher? All right. Um, let's see, someone else here. Maybe Homer, not quite as, yeah. Some of, these, some of these old guys. So let's take, for example, uh, Caesar and the writing in the, the Gallic Wars. Now, written probably around 100 to 44 BC, so we're talking about 100 years before Christ was when he wrote, all right? Um, The earliest manuscript that we have of his writing, so the farthest back we can go to the time he wrote, was about 900 AD. So this puts a thousand year gap between the writings we have of Caesar, for example, and when he actually wrote, 1,000 years. That's a long time. So we have copies of copies of copies. And guess how many copies we have of his writings? Three? Three. Good guess. 10, actually. About 10 copies that verify these writings were actually there. Uh, and yet, how many people today are like, yeah, Caesar, I don't, I don't think he was a real guy. I think there's just so it up." Very few people are going to know, yeah, yeah we, we believe he was a real historical person. Um, Plato, for example writing about 427 B.C., so this is even further back. The earliest copy we have from Plato is about 900 A.D. This puts a 1200 year gap between the copies we actually currently have. And how many copies do you think we've found from Plato's writings? Okay, yeah, you're, you're in the ballpark. Uh, actually, it's about seven seven copies that's not very many when you think about it to validate the the historical accuracy of these guys so let's talk about the New Testament um, alone it it was probably finished John probably wrote somewhere between 50 and 90 AD after Christ now we can date back to about 130 AD which gives us about a 40 year gap between the original copy written and the copies that we have today so very close Far closer than any other writings of antiquity. Uh, and how many copies do you think we have of various parts of the New Testament? Any guesses? nine like million? <laughs> A million. Okay. Five hundred. Okay, good guesses? So actually there is about twenty-four thousand various fragments and copies that they have found to verify historical accuracy of the New Testament. This is incredible. In fact, one, one scholar said, if you were to take all of the Greek, the Syriac, Latin, Coptic languages written of the New Testament, and you were to stack them one on top of the other, that it would be about four and a half times uh, taller than the Empire State Building, which is crazy to think about, how much verification we have of these writings. And, and here, I know we're, oh, we're out of time. Um, so, just to close then, what is the main point of the Bible? What, what is this all pointing us to? Um, yeah. it's, pointing us to it's pointing us to God. And in fact, Jesus said in John five thirty-nine, and this is again Him confronting the religious leaders of His day, and they thought that they would search the scriptures and as they acquired great knowledge they would, would, they would gain eternal life and yet we read in, in John five thirty nine, Jesus talking to them he says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me and yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life I do not receive glory from people but I know that you do not have the love of God within you I have not come uh, I have come in my father's name and you did not receive me. But Jesus says all the scriptures all of this beautiful tapestry that God has woven together for 1600 years is pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ to understand him and what he has done. And this means that when Jesus says something like come to me all who labor and heavy laden like if you are burdened down with your own guilt, with your own need, with your own brokenness, and Jesus says, "Come to me, and I will give you rest," the question is, well, how do we come to Christ? How do we do that? What like, Where is He? How do we come to know him? And this is our uh, third last question. How does the Holy Spirit bring us to salvation? is another one in the book there. Anyone know the answer? How does the Holy Spirit bring us to salvation? Through Christ, yes, and we, we talked about how we come to know Christ is through the Bible. Bible. Alright, thank you. So the, the answer is he uses the Bible, which is the Word of God. Um, so the, I'll get this to you in just a second. So he uses the Bible, so when Christ says, come to me, the way we come to Christ is we come to his Word, and we prayerfully ask God to help us see him, to understand what he has done. And in some of the last times we have a of Christ walking on the earth in Luke twenty-four thirteen, he's walking with this guy, these guys who didn't even realize that it was Jesus after he had been raised from the dead, and uh, we're told that Jesus begins opening the scriptures to them as he's walking, and he begins showing them how he had to come and suffer and die for sinners and to be raised on the third day. Jesus opens the scriptures with them and shows them how it points to him. So I pray that that is uh, your aim. As you read this book, be constantly praying, Lord, God, help me to see Christ. Help me to understand him. Help me to, to know more of him and to use this special revelation that God has given. So let me pray. And I'm going a few minutes over, so we will wind out in Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you you have given to us, and Lord, we know there are many mysteries and many questions around it, uh, things that maybe we don't understand, but Lord, we we see that it is a book like no other, Lord, even in the the evidences that point to it from history, the way that it is so uh, intricately uh, connected from old to new, even though it spans over 1,600 years, it is your book that you have breathed out, that we may come to know Christ. We may come to understand his work through the, the death upon the cross and his resurrection and the life that he offers now. I pray you help us to come to him through your word. And in this we ask in Jesus' name. But you, oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory.